Chapter 19 of Dread, A Tale of the Great Dismal Swamp by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Dread, Chapter 19, The Conspirators. We owe our readers now some words of explanation respecting the new personage who has been introduced into our history. Therefore, we must go back somewhat and allude to certain historical events of painful significance. It has been a problem to many how the system of slavery in America should unite the two apparent inconsistencies of a code of slave laws more severe than that of any other civilized nation, with an average practice at least as indulgent as any other. For bad as slavery is at the best, it may yet be admitted that the practice as a whole has been less cruel in this country than in many. An examination into history will show us that the cruelty of the laws resulted from the effects of indulgent practice. During the first years of importation of slaves into South Carolina, they enjoyed many privileges. Those who lived with intelligent families and had any desire to learn were instructed in reading and writing. Liberty was given to them to meet in assemblies of worship, in class meetings, and otherwise, without the presence of white witnesses. And many were raised to situations of trust and consequence. The result of this was the development of a good degree of intelligence and manliness among the slaves. There arose among them grave, thoughtful, energetic men with their ears and eyes open, and their minds constantly awake to compare and reason. When minds come into this state, in a government professing to be founded on principles of universal equality, it follows that almost every public speech, document, or newspaper becomes an incendiary publication. Of this fact, the southern slave states have ever exhibited the most singular unconsciousness. Documents containing sentiments most dangerous for slaves to hear have been publicly read and applauded among them. The slave has heard, amid shouts, on the 4th of July, that his masters held the truth to be self-evident, that all men were born equal, and had an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that all governments derive their just power from the consent of the governed. Even the mottoes of newspapers have embodied sentiments of the most insurrectionary character such inscriptions as resistance to tyrants is obedience to god stand to this day in large letters at the head of southern newspapers while speeches of senators and public men in which the principles of universal democracy are asserted are constant matters of discussion under such circumstances it is difficult to induce the servant who feels that he is a man to draw those lines which seem so obvious to masters by whom this fact has been forgotten. Accordingly, we find that when the discussions for the admission of Missouri as a slave state produced a wave whose waters undulated in every part of the Union, there were found among the slaves men of unusual thought and vigor, who were no inattentive witnesses and listeners. The discussions were printed in the newspapers, and what was printed in the newspapers was further discussed at the post office door, in the tavern, in the bar-room, at the dinner-party, where black servants were listening behind the chairs. 
a free colored man in the city of charleston named denmark vesey was the one who had the hardihood to seek to use the electric fluid in the cloud thus accumulated he conceived the hopeless project of imitating the example set by the american race and achieving independence for the blacks our knowledge of this man is derived entirely from the printed reports of the magistrates who gave an account of the insurrection of which he was the instigator and who will not of course be supposed to be unduly prejudiced in his favor they state that he was first brought to the country by one captain vesey a young lad distinguished for personal beauty and great intelligence and that he proved for twenty years a most faithful slave but on drawing a prize of fifteen hundred dollars in the lottery he purchased his freedom of his master and worked as a carpenter in the city of charleston he was distinguished for strength and activity and as the accounts state maintained such an irreproachable character and enjoyed so much the confidence of the whites that when he was accused the charge was not only discredited but he was not even arrested for several days after and not till the proof of his guilt had become too strong to be doubted his historians go on with considerable naivete to remark quote, it is difficult to conceive what motive he had to enter into such a plot unless it was for the one mentioned by one of the witnesses who said that vesey had several children who were slaves and that he said on one occasion he wished he could see them free as he himself artfully remarked in his defence on his trial unquote. it appears that the project of rousing and animating the blacks to this enterprise occupied the mind of vesey for more than four years during which time he was continually making opportunities to animate and inspire the spirits of his countrymen the account states that the speeches in congress of those opposed to the admission of missouri into the union perhaps garbled and misrepresented furnished him with ample means for inflaming the minds of the colored population even while walking on the street the account goes on to say he was not idle for if his companion bowed to a white person as slaves universally do he would rebuke him and observe that all men were born equal and that he was surprised that any one would degrade himself by such conduct that he would never cringe to the whites nor ought any one to who had the feelings of a man when answered we are slaves he would say sarcastically and indignantly you deserve to remain slaves and if he were further asked what can we do he would remark go and buy a spelling-book and read the fable of hercules and the wagoner he also sought every opportunity of entering into conversation with white persons during which conversations he would artfully introduce some bold remark on slavery and sometimes when from the character he was conversing with he found he might be still bolder he would go so far that had not his declarations been clearly proved they would scarcely have been credited but his great instrument of influence was a book that has always been prolific of insurrectionary movements under all systems of despotism he rendered himself perfectly familiar with all those parts of scripture which he thought he could pervert to his purpose and would readily quote them to prove that slavery was contrary to the laws of god and that slaves were bound to attempt their emancipation however shocking and bloody might be the consequences that such efforts would not only be pleasing to the almighty but were absolutely enjoined vesey in the course of time associated himself with five slavemen of marked character 
rolla ned peter mundy and gola jack of these the account goes on to say in the selection of his leaders thus he showed great penetration and sound judgment rolla was plausible and possessed uncommon self-possession bold and ardent he was not to be deterred from his purpose by danger ned's appearance indicated that he was a man of firm nerves and desperate courage peter was intrepid and resolute true to his engagements and cautious in observing secrecy where it was necessary he was not to be daunted nor impeded by difficulties and though confident of success was careful in providing against any obstacles or casualties which might arise and intent upon discovering every means which might be in their power if thought of beforehand gola jack was regarded as a sorcerer and as such feared by the natives of africa who believed in witchcraft he was not only considered invulnerable but that he could make others so by his charms and that he could and certainly would provide all his followers with arms he was artful cruel bloody his disposition in short was diabolical his influence among the africans was inconceivable monday was firm resolute discreet and intelligent it is a melancholy truth that the general good conduct of all the leaders except Golajak, was such as rendered them objects least liable to suspicion their conduct had secured them not only the unlimited confidence of their owners but they had been indulged in every comfort and allowed every privilege compatible with their situation in the community and though gola jack was not remarkable for the correctness of his deportment he by no means sustained a bad character but as the report not only were the leaders of good character and very much indulged by their owners but this was very generally the case with all who were convicted many of them possessing the highest confidence of their owners and not one a bad character the conduct and behavior of vesey and his five leaders during their trial and imprisonment may be interesting to many when vesey was tried he folded his arms and seemed to pay great attention to the testimony given against him but with his eyes fixed on the floor in this situation he remained immovable until the witnesses had been examined by the court and cross-examined by his counsel when he requested to be allowed to examine the witnesses himself which he did the evidence being closed he addressed the court at considerable length when he received his sentence tears trickled down his cheeks rolla when arraigned affected not to understand the charge against him and when at his request it was explained to him assumed with wonderful adroitness astonishment and surprise he was remarkable throughout his trial for composure and great presence of mind when he was informed that he was convicted and was advised to prepare for death he appeared perfectly confounded but exhibited no signs of fear in ned's behavior there was nothing remarkable his countenance was stern and immovable even while he was receiving sentence of death from his looks it was impossible to discover or conjecture what were his feelings not so with peter poise in his countenance were strongly marked disappointed ambition revenge indignation and an anxiety to know how far the discoveries had extended he did not appear to fear personal consequences for his whole behavior indicated the reverse but exhibited an evident anxiety for the success of their plan in which his whole soul was embarked his countenance and behavior were the same 
when he received his sentence, and his only words were on retiring, I suppose you'll let me see my wife and family before I die, and that in no supplicating tone. When he was asked a day or two after, if it was possible that he could see his master and family murdered, who had treated him so kindly, he replied to the question only by a smile. In their prison, the convicts resolutely refused to make any confessions or communications which might implicate others, and Peter Poy sternly enjoyed it upon them to maintain this silence. Do not open your lips. Die silent, as you will see me do. And in this resolute silence, they met their fate. Twenty-two of the conspirators were executed upon one gallows. The account says that Peter Poise was one of the most active of the recruiting agents. All the principal conspirators kept a list of those who had consented to join them, and Peter was said by one of the witnesses to have had six hundred names on his list. But so resolutely to the last did he observe his pledge of secrecy to his associates, that of the whole number arrested and tried, not one of them belonged to his company. In fact, in an insurrection in which thousands of persons were supposed to have been implicated, only thirty-six were convicted. Among the children of Denmark Vesey was a boy by a Mandingo slave woman who was his father's particular favorite. The Mandingos are one of the finest of African tribes, distinguished for intelligence, beauty of form, and an indomitable pride and energy of nature. As slaves, they are considered particularly valuable by those who have tact enough to govern them because of their great capability and their proud faithfulness. But they resent a government of brute force, and under such are always fractious and dangerous. This boy received from his mother the name of Dread, a name not unusual among the slaves, and generally given to those of great physical force. The development of this child's mind was so uncommon as to excite astonishment among the Negroes. He early acquired the power of reading by an apparent instinctive faculty, and would often astonish those around him with things which he had discovered in books. Like other children of a deep and fervent nature, he developed great religious ardor, and often surprised the older Negroes by his questions and replies on this subject. A son so endowed could not but be an object of great pride and interest to a father like Denmark Vesey. The impression seemed to prevail universally among the Negroes that this child was born for extraordinary things, and perhaps it was the yearning to acquire liberty for the development of such a mind which first led Denmark Vesey to reflect on the nature of slavery and the terrible weights which it lays on the human intellect and to conceive the project of liberating a race. The Bible, of which Vesey was an incessant reader, stimulated this desire. He likened his own position of comparative education, competence, and general esteem among the whites to that of Moses among the Egyptians, and nourished the idea that, like Moses, he was sent as a deliverer. During the process of the conspiracy, this son, though but ten years of age, was his father's confidant, and he often charged him, though he should fail in the attempt, never to be discouraged. He impressed it upon his mind that he should never submit tamely to the yoke of slavery, and nourish the idea already impressed that some more than ordinary destiny was reserved for him. After the discovery of the plot and the execution of its leaders, 
those more immediately connected with them were sold from the state even though not proved to have participated with the most guarded caution vesey had exempted his son from suspicion it had been an agreed policy with them both that in the presence of others they should counterfeit alienation and dislike their confidential meetings with each other had been stolen in secret at the time of his father's execution dread was a lad of fourteen he could not be admitted to his father's prison but he was a witness of the undaunted aspect with which he and the other conspirators met their doom the memory dropped into the depths of his soul as a stone drops into the desolate depths of a dark mountain lake sold to a distant plantation he became noted for his desperate unsubduable disposition he joined in none of the social recreations and amusements of the slaves labored with proud and silent assiduity but on the slightest rebuke or threat flashed up with a savage fierceness which supported by his immense bodily strength made him an object of dread among his overseers he was one of those of whom they gladly rid themselves and like a fractious horse was sold from master to master finally an overseer hardier than the rest determined on the task of subduing him in the scuffle that ensued dread struck him to the earth a dead man made his escape to the swamps and was never afterwards heard of in civilized life the reader who consults the map will discover that the whole eastern shore of the southern states with slight interruptions is belted by an immense chain of swamps regions of hopeless disorder where the abundant growth and vegetation of nature sucking up its forces from the humid soil seem to rejoice in a savage exuberance and bid defiance to all human efforts either to penetrate or subdue these wild regions are the home of the alligator the moccasin and the rattlesnake evergreen trees mingling freely with the deciduous children of the forest form here dense jungles verdant all the year round and which afford shelter to numberless birds with whose warbling the leafy desolation perpetually resounds climbing vines and parasitic plants of untold splendor and boundless exuberance of growth twine and interlace and hang from the heights of the highest trees pennons of gold and purple triumphant banners which attest to the solitary majesty of nature a species of parasitic moss wreathes its abundant draperies from tree to tree and hangs in pearly festoons through which shine the scarlet berry and green leaves of the american holly what the mountains of switzerland were to the persecuted vaudois this swampy belt has been to the american slave the constant effort to recover from thence fugitives has led to the adoption in these states of a separate profession unknown at the time of any other christian land hunters who train and keep dogs for the hunting of men women and children and yet with all the convenience of this profession the reclaiming of the fugitives from this fastness of nature has been a work of such expense and difficulty that the near proximity of the swamp has always been a considerable check on the otherwise absolute power of the overseer dread carried with him to the swamp but one solitary companion the bible of his father to him it was not the messenger of peace and good will but the herald of woe and wrath as the mind looking on the great volume of nature sees there a reflection of its own internal passions and seizes on that in it which sympathizes with itself as the fierce and savage soul delights in the roar of torrents 
the thunder of avalanches, and the whirl of ocean storms. So is it in the great answering volume of Revelation. There is something there for every phase of man's nature, and hence its endless vitality and stimulating force. Dread had heard read in the secret meetings of conspirators the wrathful denunciations of ancient prophets against oppression and injustice. He had read of kingdoms convulsed by plagues, of tempests and pestilence, of locusts, of sea cleft in twain, that an army of slaves might pass through, and of their pursuers whelmed in the returning waters. He had heard of prophets and deliverers, armed with supernatural powers, raised up for oppressed people, had pondered on the nail of Jael, the goad of Shamgar, the pitcher and lamp of Gideon, and thrilled with fierce joy as he read how Samson, with two strong arms, pulled down the pillars of the festive temple and whelmed his triumphant persecutors in one grave with himself. In the vast solitudes which he daily traversed, these things entered deep into his soul. Cut off from all human companionship, often going weeks without seeing a human face, there was no recurrence of everyday and prosaic ideas to check the current of the enthusiasm thus kindled. Even in the soil of the cool Saxon heart, the Bible has thrown out its roots with an all-pervading energy, so that the whole framework of society may be said to rest on soil held together by its fibers. Even in cold and misty England, armies have been made defiant and invincible by the incomparable force and deliberate valor which it breathes into men. But when this oriental seed, an exotic among us, is planted back in the fiery soil of a tropical heart, it bursts forth with an incalculable ardor of growth. A stranger cannot fail to remark the fact that, though the slaves of the South are unable to read the Bible for themselves, yet most completely have its language and sentiment penetrated among them, giving a Hebraistic coloring to their habitual mode of expression. How much greater, then, must have been the force of the solitary perusal of this volume on so impassioned a nature, a nature too kindled by memories of the self-sacrificing ardor with which a father and his associates had met death at the call of freedom. For none of us may deny that wild and hopeless as this scheme was, it was still the same in kind with the more successful one which purchased for our fathers a national existence. A mind of the most passionate energy and vehemence thus awakened for years made the wild solitudes of the swamp its home. That book, so full of startling symbols and vague images, had for him no interpreter but the silent courses of nature. His life passed in a kind of dream, sometimes traversing for weeks these desolate regions. He would compare himself to Elijah traversing for forty days and nights in the solitudes of Horeb, or to John the Baptist in the wilderness, girding himself with camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey. Sometimes he would fast and pray for days, and then voices would seem to speak to him, and strange hieroglyphics would be written upon the leaves. In less elevated moods of mind, he would pursue with great judgment and vigor those enterprises necessary to preserve existence. The negroes lying out in the swamps are not so wholly cut off from society as might at first be imagined. The slaves of all the adjoining plantations, whatever they may pretend, to secure the good will of their owners, are at heart secretly disposed from motives 
both of compassion and policy to favor the fugitives they very readily perceived that in the event of any difficulty occurring to themselves it might be quite necessary to have a friend and protector in the swamp and therefore they do not hesitate to supply these fugitives so far as they are able with anything which they may desire the poor whites also who keep small shops in the neighborhood of plantations are never particularly scrupulous provided they can turn a penny to their own advantage and willingly supply necessary wares in exchange for game with which the swamp abounds dread therefore came in possession of an excellent rifle and never wanted for ammunition which supplied him with an abundance of food besides this there are here and there elevated spots in the swampy land which by judicious culture are capable of great productiveness and many such spots dread had brought under cultivation either with his own hands or from those of other fugitives whom he had received and protected from the restlessness of his nature he had not confined himself to any particular region but had traversed the whole swampy belt of both the carolinas as well as that of southern virginia residing a few months in one place and a few months in another wherever he stopped he formed a sort of retreat where he received and harbored fugitives on one occasion he rescued a trembling and bleeding mulatto woman from the dogs of the hunters who had pursued her into the swamp this woman he made his wife and appeared to entertain a very deep affection for her he made a retreat for her with more than common ingenuity in the swamp adjoining the gordon plantation and after that he was more especially known in that locality but he had fixed his eye upon harry a person whose ability address and strength of character might make him at some day a leader in a conspiracy against the whites harry in common with many of the slaves of the gordon plantation knew perfectly well of the presence of dread in the neighborhood and had often seen and conversed with him but neither he nor any of the rest of them ever betrayed before any white person the slightest knowledge of the fact this ability of profound secrecy is one of the invariable attendants of a life of slavery harry was acute enough to know that his position was by no means so secure that he could afford to dispense with anything which might prove an assistance in some future emergency the low white traders in the neighborhood also knew dread well but as long as they could drive an advantageous trade with him he was secure from their intervention so secure had he been that he had been even known to mingle in the motley throng of a camp-meeting unmolested thus much with regard to one who is to appear often on the stage before our history is done end of chapter nineteen the conspirators